Mike, you nailed it again. <laughs> I don't know how on earth he was able to pick that song from a passage about singleness, but that's exactly where I'm going to end up in this message is talking about the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 25. I'm sure the Holy Spirit has something to do with that, wouldn't you think? So, but uh, anyway, uh, I want to talk, uh, preach a message called Marriage During This Appointed Time. If you were to ask me if Paul was for or against marriage, I would have to answer yes. Without a doubt, Paul has a high view of marriage. If you doubt me, go to Ephesians 5 and just see what he says about what a picture of, of spiritualities marriage is. But the section that we're covering today is very often misunderstood. And the reason for that is that a superficial reading of the passage would lead you to believe that Paul is against marriage, and that simply is not true. We'll see as we get into these verses that what Paul is saying is that if you have the gift of singleness, then you should remain single. But as we do this today, what we're going to also see is we have the occasion to examine our own hearts and our own priorities as well. So if you will stand with me as we read God's word. 1 Corinthians 7, 25 now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by whom the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. We won't even comment on that. We'll keep right on moving. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided attention to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin." But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, having, no de having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So when he marries his betrothed, he does well, 
And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. I know you're wondering how on earth I'm going to get through all these verses. I will. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for these, this passage. Frankly, it's a very difficult passage. But we know that there is a blessing in wrestling through the issues and through uh, what Paul is actually saying. I believe it's going to be a great blessing today. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my heart. My heart is full, and my heart is rejoicing in who Christ is. And I pray that that will be transferred today to everybody within my hearing. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. All right, let's just get on with it. Paul says, it's good for you to remain single. That's what he's saying. That's what this whole passage is about. It's good for you to remain single. But then he lays out a bunch of different um, uh, truths that need to be um, uh, talked about as he says that. And the first one is, but whether you remain single or married, you are to be content. Now, when you look at verse number 25, Paul says he frankly has no particular word of Christ to quote on this matter, but he does have some pastoral advice of his own to give. Now, remember that he is an inspired apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what he says. He says in verses number 26 to 28, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. If you're free from a wife, don't seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who married will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Now, verse number 26, what does it say? It says, it is good for a person to remain as he is. I have a question. Have you heard that before? Answer is yes, we covered this last week. In verses 17 to 24, Paul is dealing with the question of Christian contentment. And he wants believers to be content in their lot in life with their earthly calling, with their vocations. He reminded them, I'm going to kind of paraphrase if I can, you've been called by God in the gospel into union with Jesus Christ. That's your identity. That's your worth. And that's where your satisfaction is found. Not in your earthly callings. So find your satisfaction and contentment in Jesus and be able to rest content with your earthly lot. That's what we learned last week. And Paul is continuing this theme and applying it more specifically now to singleness and marriage. And he wants the Corinthians to be content, whether they're single or whether they're married. And so he says to them, and he said in the previous section, be content, and now he's saying, Remain as you are. Be content with your present lot. 
If you're married, don't divorce. If you're single, in his judgment, it's best not to marry. So that's probably weird to us, isn't it? As Westerners, we, we're not used to that. But I have a question for you, and this is going to get uh, down to where we live. Why is he calling for contentment? Exactly. Look at what he says. He says, in the present distress. That's why he is calling for contentment. Now, what is this present distress that he's talking about? Well, some believe that there was, well, we know for a fact that there was a famine in Corinth. Some believe that the famine was, occurred during the time that Paul wrote this verse. And so he's saying during this famine, it's best for you not to make any kind of dis- life-altering decisions until you can get everything settled out. Let the famine get over, and then it, you can get married or, or whatever the case may be. But there's no firm proof of that. I think that a better interpretation is that he is saying the present distress is the fact that Jesus' ascension has ushered in the last days. And these will be times of distress. Jesus used this word distress when he was talking about the time after his ascension, or uh, ascension, not dissension, ascension. As a matter of fact, it was literally decades after his ascension. He describes in Luke chapter 21, verse number 23. Look at what he says. He says, there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against people. Now, what is he talking about in Luke 21? He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened four decades after his ascension. And so he's talking about a time of distress. So because the time between Christ's ascension and his return, we call this the last days, we're living in the last days, this time will be a time of distress. So if you have the gift of celibacy and singleness, don't try to change. However, if you are married, stay married. And, and uh, we see a second reason why Paul would say this. There, whether you remain single or married, be content. He says another reason that for you to remain single is this. To marry exchanges one form of trouble for another. Okay? Now, realize what I'm saying this, what I mean. Paul unpacks it very clearly. Don't walk out of here saying, well, Jared says that, you know, marriage causes a lot of trouble. I don't think that at all. Look at what he says in verse number 28. What does he say? But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Remember, there's people saying you shouldn't marry. Remember that? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Look at what he says. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. So there's no sin in that. Yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. What he means is this. Marriage may cause some problems at the same time it, it fixes others. Would you agree with me? It does, doesn't it? Marriage, please, hear this. Marriage is not intended by God to resolve all your personal emotional, or spiritual difficulties. It intensifies them. 
I'm going to say this. This isn't in my sermon notes. Send me emails. I don't care. I have real problems with a lot of the marriage courses, Christian marriage courses that make marriage to be the be-all, end-all. Find all your happiness and satisfaction in marriage. Come up with the perfect marriage. The perfect marriage is your marriage to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Your worldly marriage is going to have a mixture of blessings and trials. And you have to be realistic about that. He says, um, he talks about the word troubles. He says, if you marry, you're going to have worldly troubles. That word means pressed together or under pressure. Marriage takes two people and presses them together in the closest possible ways. Two become one. But there's still two personalities, two distinct people with their own likes and dislikes, their own characteristics, their own emotions, temperaments, and wills. Each partner, to their own degree, is going to have anger and selfish dishonesty, pride, forgetfulness, and thoughtfulness. Are there any husbands out here who haven't been thoughtful, unthoughtful one time or another? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they don't dare answer. You can answer that on Second Saturday Men's Fellowship. All, yeah, that's me. But um, when one partner is a believer, or I'm sorry, when one partner is an unbeliever, or maybe the, the partner is immature or self-centered or temperamental or domineering, Every conflict is magnified. Am I correct? Yes. And so marriage involves conflicts, demands, hardships, sacrifices, and adjustments. Singleness doesn't. Marriage is ordained of God. It's good, holy, fulfilling, but it does not solve problems. Marriage should never be used as a way to escape loneliness, okay? And so Paul says, look, if you can remain single, stay single, because marriage exchanges one form of trouble for another. There's another uh, truth that he's teaching here. It's good for you to remain single because marriage, like everything else, is temporary. Now, he explains himself further. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, this is what I mean. So now he's explaining himself. Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. What appointed time? We're going to get into that. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. I'm going to explain that one too, okay? And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as they had no dealings with it. Why? Why, why, why? For the present form of this world is passing away. What is he doing here? What are you doing, Paul? What are you trying to say? He is using hyperbole to say that everything is temporary. The appointed time is very short. 
The time of trouble is temporary. It's very short compared to eternity. That's what he's saying. That's what he's trying to get across. And he's using hyperbole. He's, and, and you understand, if you've lived any length of time, you know how fast time goes, doesn't it? Except at the DMV. <laughs> Otherwise, time goes really fast. Marriage. Marriage is temporary. Therefore, married people should not live as if their ultimate joy and satisfaction are derived from their marital relationship. Since marriage is not permanent, believers should find their ultimate joy not in marriage, but in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, every joy and every trial are temporary. None will last forever. So no one should think that their sorrows or their joys are permanent or ultimate. Full and lasting joy belongs to the age to come, not in this present evil age. The same stance should be taken towards possessions. You know what he's saying? Paul doesn't deny that whatever is purchased is possessed when he says their possessions are not theirs to keep. He's thinking eschatologically, okay, in the future. Any possessions owned now will not belong to believers permanently. The end is coming and all of these possessions will be gone. Look, eternity colors the way we think about everything. The, the fact that the end is coming affects the character, character and quality of everything that we have and all the time that we have left. As Christians, the knowledge that we are in the end times, that this world will be brought to a conclusion, ought to condition how we think about all of our activities, all of our priorities in the meantime. The future has broken into the present, resulting in a relativizing, a relativization of all human commitments, such as marriage. Isn't that a blessing? You know, yesterday, Heather and I um, got to go out for a little bit. And there was a, just a little car show at the Madison High School. I don't know if anybody went to it. I, I love car shows. But it's so much fun to see what those people do to their cars. And I always leave thinking, hmm, you know, can I get a Chevrolet C10 or something like that and work on it, right? But, you know, the bottom line is that would be so much fun to do, wouldn't it? For car people, wives are hitting their husbands, don't even think about it. But it's fun. But when you start thinking about all the priorities of your life, it's really hard to justify sometimes doing that unless you have a lot of time, maybe in retirement or something like that. But I want, I want us to think just a little bit deeper about this for just a moment. Can we? Do you remember Jesus' parable, the great banquet in Luke chapter number 14? We're going to read it together. Turn to Luke 14, verse number 16. This is what Jesus said. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Okay, now who's the man who gave the great banquet? It's going to be God. 
okay? We're, we're, as believers, we're going to the great banquet. And at the time for the bank, and at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, who would be the servants? That'd be us. The God, we're, we're sharing the gospel. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. The other one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And the servant, so the servant came and reported these to the master and the master of the house said, became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what have, what have you commanded has been done and still there is room. And so there's plenty of room in heaven for everyone. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Now, what is he saying here? What is he saying? He is saying that the, anyone who values their job, their possessions, their marriage, and these things become the focus of their life, and these things are more important, what is right in front of their eyes is more important than eternity, will not see the joy of God. Isn't that what he's saying? And that's everyone who does not know Jesus Christ, who has her roots deeply planted in this world. Listen. Material things can cost us spiritually. And so what that does for us as Christians is causes us to ask ourselves, where is my mind? Have I set my heart on worldly things so deeply that Christ has lost his beauty? That my desire for heaven has waned? That's a question that all of us need to ask ourselves today. There's nothing wrong with the things of this world. If you gave me a Chevrolet C10 tomorrow, <laughs> I would take it. <laughs> but just follow this advice. It's okay to possess things, but don't let things possess you, right? You know what the, that's what we learn. Why? Because the present form of this world is passing away. Don't place too much importance on the highs and lows of marriage, the highs and lows of human life, the acquiring of goods, because this world's social and economic infrastructure is passing away. The most basic of all human life, experiences of human life, experiencing joy and sadness, buying goods, and engaging in the world around us, um, because these are in the same category as married or the single person, they are not to be treated as the ultimate. What matters most is glorifying God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's another thing Paul says. He says, it's good for you to remain single because it's not hard 
to make marriage a distraction. Paul says in verses 32 to 35, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Now, if you have a different translation of the Bible, it probably says cares. Uh, The word means care or concern. Anxiety is kind of an amped up word. It means care or concern. It's used five times in these next verses to talk about married people, wives and husbands. Paul's concern. By the way, married people are right to concern themselves with the happiness of their spouses. Men, you better be concerned about the happiness of your wife, the joy of your wife. Wives, you should be concerned and and, and care about the the happiness of your husband as well. But Paul's concern for the people is that they have as few distractions as possible. Remember the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10? Um, um, It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Remember, Jesus is in their house. Mary's listening. Martha's serving. And she went up and said to him, Lord, you do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Then he goes on to say what? But Mary has chosen the most important thing. And so Paul is not disparaging household duties, and Christ is not disparaging household duties, but rather they want to make sure that we have the accent on the right concern, which is the eternal things. The married person has to consider the needs and gifts and feelings and fears and doubts and the questions of his or her spouse. Single people, you have to struggle with your own besetting sin. Married people have to deal with the besetting sin of your partners. You see, you can face persecution for Jesus' sake as a single person, and it's hard, but no one bears that burden with you. But as a married person, if you begin to uh, bear persecution for Jesus' sake, you've also got to think about your spouse and your children and your family. And so a married person at Corinth might think twice about standing up for Jesus if they know that standing up for Jesus paints a target on their whole family, right? Lord, it's okay for me to suffer, but I don't want to see little Johnny or Susie suffer with me. That just doesn't seem fair. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He summarizes what he means in verse number 35. Look at what he says. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion. Undivided devotion. You know, we, we have a dog. Well, Heather has a dog. The dog tolerates me for the most part, right? Now, um, but one of the things that is true is Heather has that dog's undivided devotion, especially when she eats. Me, not so much, but her for sure. Every time I come home, if, if she's out, let's just say that she's out at the store, we both go out. Let's say like yesterday we went out. When I open the door from the garage to the, the house, the dog is happy to see me and immediately looks around the door to see if Heather's there. Undivided attention. The, the word undivided, undivided devotion here, is a word 
that if you translate it woodenly, would be good sitting beside. It's a compound word. He wants, Paul wants good sitting beside the Lord for each of us. In other words, undivided. Literally what he means is he wants us to park beside Jesus Christ and then let all the weeds grow up around us because we park beside Christ so long. That's the idea of the picture. We're undivided. We have undivided attention to Jesus Christ. The weeds in the tall grass grow up around the wheels of our lives. Once we pull up beside Jesus, we never move from there. That's what he wants, undivided commitment. Devotion to Jesus Christ. Is that how you think about your Christian life? With, with this kind of radical claim on your relationships, do you? With this kind of radical claim on your decisions, younger people, I see a lot of younger people out here. Can you imagine being so devoted to Jesus Christ that you might not pursue romantic relationships so that you're free to, ser- to pursue service in Jesus Christ instead? Mom doesn't want to hear that. She wants grandkids, right? But you might be asking, now why in the world would somebody do that? Well, let me ask a, the question a different way, young people. Let me ask you what it says about Paul's view of Jesus, that he thinks the compensation of serving Jesus Christ should far outweigh the joys of a romantic relationship or even marriage. Doesn't that say that Jesus Christ is infinitely, infinitely more valuable and infinitely more precious? It does. That he is so soul-satisfying and glorious that you can say, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Do you have room in your Christianity for a Jesus whose glory is so compelling, whose claims over you are so comprehensive that you might cheerfully even remain single for the rest of your life so that you can give yourself to his cause if that's what he's called you to? Paul is summoning us to a profound contentment, but also passionate, radical and personal consecration because Jesus is infinitely precious. Let me quickly hit the very last thing. I'm just going to hit it real quick and move on. It's good for you to remain single because if you can remain single, do it. If not, then get married. Let's read verses 36 to 40. If anyone thinks that he's behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, Let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. We'll stop there. The world tries to tell you, 
And you will never reach your full potential without sexual activity. But Paul says that sexual activity does not belong to the essence of personhood. Human beings are sexual beings created by God as male and female. Yet Paul doesn't teach that one fails to reach your full potential if you never engage in, in intimate relations. On the contrary, he prefers a single life in which one devotes himself entirely to pleasing God. Entirely to pleasing God. Now step back and put all this together. Let's put it all together. I wonder if you can see the big point that Paul's driving home. He wants the Corinthians to be content with their lot in life. He doesn't want them thinking the only way they can be happy or fulfilled or satisfied in this life is to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. I'm going to go find the one. I think that's a real temptation to some of us. We have to be in relationship. We see it with younger people, don't we? You know, the guy that's always got to have a girlfriend, the girl's always got to have the boyfriend, or somebody's always got to be in a relationship. Our whole identity is bound up with it. We could never be happy unless we're in relationship. And what God is calling us to do is to be content with our lot and our calling if we're gifted with singleness by God's grace. Then we are not bullied into thinking of ourselves of being some kind of uh, defective person because of peer pressure. If you're single, let me say to you very clearly, you are not failing. You're not odd. You're not deficient. In fact, as we're going to see, Paul um, is about to teach that your singleness has many benefits that bring glory to God and are good for others. And if you're married, well, then praise God and be satisfied. That is the call of God in your life. And find your contentment there in the context of your marriage, but don't find your contentment from your marriage. Find your contentment, rather, from Jesus Christ. Are you finding your contentment in Jesus Christ no matter what your joys or sorrows are? No matter what your lot in life? Lord, thank you for what you taught us today. How profound, how wonderful it is to know that we can find our contentment in Jesus Christ. This world has many joys to offer, but along with those joys come sorrows. And that is true with everything. If our favorite team wins the world championship, there's always next year. If we find Mr. Perfect, we find out that he's got problems. If we find the perfect job, we find out it doesn't come with the perfect boss. If we find the perfect house, we find that we have imperfect neighbors. And we could go on and on and on with these sorts of things, Lord. That's life in this world. It's temporary. And so, Lord, may we be people 
who with all of every fiber of our being find our joy and contentment in Jesus and him alone. In Christ's name, amen.